Put your money where the movement is. It's the people that make the world go round. That make the world go round. Oh, is it the money? Hey, I'm Alexis. I'm community. Hey, I'm Michael. I'm capital. So something like that. We are recording. Thumbs up. What do we got here, man? Okay, I need you to get in some loot. Okay, because Dom just released an expansion of new loot. He's added like one and a half million new items. One and a half million. So I've just been buying a ton of loot this morning. (laughs) Why have you been buying a ton of loot? Because I really believe in Dom. I've known Dom for a long time back when he created Vine and worked with him. We did a deal when he got acquired to basically sell over the code and the everything for Byte which was going to be the successor to Vine, over to my team at Clash, <laughs> which is relaunching Byte as Clash in like an undisclosed amount of time. But soon, I just have a ton of respect for his craft. He's a product genius. He first launched this thing last week. And you can, you can go and see. The loot itself is just a list of items. And if you play Dungeons & Dragons or even video games like Diablo or others, it'll be very familiar. It's just text. But... It provides this foundation for building an entire MMO universe. And what's what's MMO? Oh, multi massively multiplayer online role playing game. Though people usually drop the RPG part because it's a mouthful. And and so basically, this is like, <laughs> how would you like to for at least at this point? Let's see, it's a hundred dollars, eh, one hundred twenty bucks. Be able to get access to shares or something. It's not a security, but items that have a worth in what could be the next World of Warcraft is the way that I would look at it. And what's most exciting is the developer energy, all the things that were built in literally a week around the first launch of it were so compelling that I'm like, oh, this has captured the attention against the perfect Venn diagram of community where it's early crypto people, programmers, and people who played or love role-playing games. That sweet spot, that that is not a Venn diagram. That is a circle because they overlap so much. So I want to get into and unpack this idea of community from the bottom yes. up. This yes, is where right. loot is basically enabling the community. They're giving you the raw material, all of us the raw material, and we can create the community around it. And that's what's creating the value and the assets. Before mm-hmm. we get to that, though, people were literally able to see your screen. So I want to yeah. see you were typing in different token IDs. Maybe this is the secret that you can't give away, but what, how are you doing that? You were just, so you go to approve. Yeah. I think so much of crypto is about user experience and on-ramping people to a user experience. They understand a lot of people I found from minting my NFT poem uh, on OpenSea is that they don't necessarily have a MetaMask wallet. They don't know what it is. So walk us through. So you went to Etherscan you then connected to your MetaMask wallet, which has to have some ETH in it. And then what did you do? You went to approve. That's it. Yeah, and then here, what, let what? Me, oh, you let me send walk. it to what? Boom. So I'm on Etherscan. I'm going to this particular address with this particular contract. And that's linked to from Dom's Twitter. Okay. And then see this button. This is Connect to Web3. I click on it. I yep. choose my wallet. If you do Wallet Connect, that's a great yep. way if you're using Rainbow, which is a great wallet, but it's not as good of a demo. So I'm going to hit cancel and I'm going to click here, go to MetaMask. It's a Chrome extension. This mm-hmm. is just saying, yo, this is beta. <laughs> They're covering their ass. Okay. Side note, MetaMask yeah. has 10 million users. 
this point. Yeah. It's kind of janky, but it works. Normally, if I weren't already logged in, I'd have to click a couple of things in the Chrome extension. You just hit OK and, and basically tell it which wallet mm-hmm. it want to connect to. Here it has been connected. And now I click Claim. And here, this sounds ridiculous, but you just basically type in any number between 8,000 and 1.4 million or whatever the total number was. So, so like, what if you click on that plus sign? Uh, I think it just gives you options. Yeah, just don't do that. Don't do that? Okay. <laughs> don't bother doing that. So, so okay, so we're going to go through this. So, we're going to, so you don't need to hit approve. Do you need to do anything in one in approve? What's your birthday? No, uh, this is literally all you do. What's your birthday? We're telling my birthday to the entire world? Yeah, yeah. Or just shoot here. What's today? Today's September 4th. So let's do 90421. Is that the year? Okay. And then let's see if this works. So see how this is 3.9 ETH. This is too expensive. And, and what I mean by that is basically this means it has been claimed by someone else. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. reject. Be like, just kidding. So I'm going to choose it. I'm going to put another, I'm just going to put a five at the end of this number see if this one has been claimed. And this is literally perfect. Okay, so see how this only costs 0.03. One question here. So I just did it for 90422. And Mm -hmm. my gas fee was 141 bucks. Is that good or bad? And is that expensive or not expensive? And how do I know what I'm getting when I actually write that? If you get a number that's like three ETH, that means that the item has already been minted. And you can think of minting as like, I don't know, you mint a coin. That means you put in some copper, you put in some heat, you push down, and then that comes out as a penny. And once you've done it, you can no longer mint that exact penny again. It's already, Mm -hmm. you can only make it once. And so here we're using something called gas, which I won't go into. You have to pay for the process of minting your item. So I guess in this role-playing scenario, you can assume this is like going to the blacksmith with some raw materials. If you go to the blacksmith and say, hey buddy, I want a sword, he would say, all right, but I need some iron and maybe some money to do this. And so by paying this gas fee of 126 bucks, you're effectively giving the blacksmith the iron, the raw material and the money to do it. (laughs) The fun thing is this blacksmith has promised that the sword he is gonna make when I click confirm will never be made for any other human again. And that's what makes it special. And so because the user interface of Web3 is still pretty janky, you don't get any graceful message here when you go to the blacksmith saying, hey, can you make me sword 956,343? It just says this costs way too much. (laughs) But it should say, sorry, Squire, that sword has already been made. I can't make it for you. Important question on value, though. So you're right now spending all this money on gas fees presumably you have enough money in your metamask wallet to pay for those it'll tell you it'll tell you right here otherwise the transaction doesn't work but the question here becomes from a user experience perspective so i just walked up to the blacksmith saying hey good day i want to mint sword 904220 and he said yo 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 yo. i can't do that for you now (laughs) It's a terrible user interface, but what I'm getting back is that's going to cost four ETH in gas fees. That's too high. That is basically the sign that, oh, no, this has already been minted by someone else. So then I said to come back with something else. Actually, in that case, it was a good one. Because I don't have four ETH in this wallet, it doesn't even let me go to the guy and say, hey, buddy, can I, can I try to pay that? Here's the challenge, though. In a situation where 
I do have a wallet that has enough ETH. I could actually spend the money to try to get him to make me that sword, even though in this hypothetical scenario, the blacksmith is going to get my money and be like, thanks for the money, buddy, but I can't make you that sword. And again, that's another one of these sort of bad, this is all a terrible user experience. Well, so this is exactly what I want to get to, which is a lot of people might own ETH, but they might own it in their wallet, their Coinbase wallet, their BlockFi wallet, their Rainbow wallet. Mm -hmm. And it's easy through a platform like Coinbase. It's very easy to buy ETH. It's very easy to buy ETH through a platform like Rainbow too. You can connect to your Apple Pay and you can mm, just buy it. You can even buy it through MetaMask, through Wire or Transact, which take more time. They require a lot of codes and all that kind of stuff. So not a great user experience. But a lot of people might not be holding a lot of money in ETH in their MetaMask wallet, which they then need to transact. And it might take some time to then move money from one place to the other and then buy one of these. It could be loot. NFT, it could be some other NFT on, yeah. on OpenSea or Rarible or whatever. Yeah. How do we improve the user experience so that A, people know to keep enough money in their wallet so that they can transact immediately? Because I think particularly younger people, we are used to, and, and actually for that matter, not just younger people, but anybody when it comes to financial services is used to instantaneous transactions. One click, buy a stock on Robinhood. One click, buy a crypto asset on Coinbase. The same should be the case when it comes to buying assets in the NFT world. How do we get to a place where that becomes easy? Because when things become harder, doesn't mean people won't do it. Axie is a great example where it's hard to get into the Axie ecosystem, yet people are still willing to do it, which shows how much demand side pull there actually is for being in that community and living in that ecosystem and playing the game and transacting. But it also creates kind of conversion hiccups down the funnel and people drop out as a result of that. And, and, and it feels like as a community, whether it's creator-led NFTs or bottom-up-led NFTs like Loot is, it would be in the best interest for anybody in the NFT community to want to create the best possible user experience. Okay, the instant transaction part, that's on ETH right now, just not scaling yet. Optimism, mm -hmm. Polygon, those are some attempts Solana. to better scale Ethereum so that you don't have to pay as much so you wouldn't have to pay $124. You'd have to pay a dollar, hopefully a few pennies, hopefully less than that one day. Mm -hmm. And they go faster. Even these transactions take time. Depends how long. It could be seconds. It could be even minutes. Um, I got one of them done while and, you were talking. And, like, and so there are different projects. Solana is an entirely different blockchain that's built around this idea that I think is doing some interesting stuff as well around speed. Because So that's one huge, huge part of it. The other thing is... So the Axie example, I think, is a good one. Even though the user experience has a ton of friction, which I just showed you, the appeal of wealth is very strong. It's very strong. At the end of the day, if you continue to have, and I think you will, more people making a living playing a game, Axie Infinity, or paying off their student loan debt with NFT flipping, which is literally, you've seen all over Twitter in the last few weeks, if you're in this NFT community, if in this, this community, you see it every day. And even if half of them are lying, like, which I don't think is accurate, but let's say half are lying, that's still a material number. That is such a world-changing experience that that has the highest virality coefficient on earth. You see someone, whether it's your neighbor offline or someone on the internet who you trust or like or care, or even a total stranger. You want to... You want a good tweet on this? Yeah, on this go for it. 
All right. So this guy got a text from his barber. He asked, are we on for today? And barber said, uh, no. sorry, you know, I don't think I'm going to be coming in today. And the reason why is got rich off Solana. Won't be coming in today or ever again. I love it. There you go. So, right, that makes someone <laughs> perk up and say, I'm going to take my Saturday. And instead of watching sports or vegging out on Netflix, I'm going to take the day to just learn. That's the tipping point because I think what's bonkers here is that's internet connection and obviously some money and a computer is the barrier to entry and then time. We've reached a tipping point now where there's enough real infrastructure and enough people who have made enough money on that infrastructure who have a very invested belief in it existing that I'm just looking for the on-ramps. I'm looking for the content. I'm looking for the people to bring more people into this because that's life-changing. I want more people to have access to this. And that energy is already here in the form of things like Dogecoin, which we've talked about, or Wall Street Bets and GameStop, which we've talked about. And unlike those things, actually has some substance to it. Actually, no, GameStop has some substance to it, but a game is actually more valuable if there are more people playing on it for longer. Like it actually is more valuable. So where's that intersection between people's desire to make money versus their desire for belonging. And I'm going to reference a tweet by Rebecca Caden from USV said yesterday, over time, we're going to see that NFTs are less about speculation than they are quests for belonging. Just as social networks are about quests for belonging and great brands are about quests for belonging. Application layer outputs evolve, but underlying motivations are wildly simple. So how much of this NFT phenomenon, I want people to understand this and hopefully we can help be a small part in making sense of it for people. There's this NFT mania. How much of it is about making money and the drive for earning some sort of income or life-changing money versus about a quest for belonging? Or are those two things colliding, which would be community times capital? <laughs> but where do you think that line is drawn and how do you think about I that think concept? Like the pod would indicate, they are very related. And I think of the hierarchy of needs. There's some fundamental stuff you need taken care of. Security, I forget the rest, but like the basics of life that you need taken care of. And I do think community can be and has been an escape for that because I've met plenty of Redditors who found community because every other thing in their life for them, as far as they were concerned, society was not meeting those expectations, not meeting those needs. And, and that's very real because it can help get people through all kinds of awful shit. And, and so what we're seeing now, though, is the two colliding and actually being very potent together. Because what we didn't do with Reddit was that capital side. Because we couldn't. It was 2005. It's just technology. I remember setting up payment processing for our merch in 2005 and having used PayPal was literally the only way to process a credit card in 2005 online as a startup. So it was before Stripe. Yes, there was a world before Stripe. And so the rails for finance were archaic at that point. But now 
look, Web3 is rebuilding all of it. And community is integrated with capital. And those two are potent together. So we were obviously younger in the beginning of Web 1.0. And when there was this mania and praise over many different internet properties and stocks, I'm going to list some names. Some are around, some are not. Oh, I remember. I read, I, I read dot con like uh, 50 times in college. Yeah. Right. So like AOL, BBN, CompuServe, Earthlink, PSINet, UUNet, MindSpring, Delphi. These were all kind of like web 1.0, the equivalent of probably like layer one protocols for the internet. You needed that to be able to put the building blocks for the consumerization of the internet, Amazon, Google, et cetera. And then the social layer on top of that, Facebook, Twitter, mm -hmm. LinkedIn, et cetera. Now you have Web3. Many of those names <clears throat> cease to exist or are part of other companies and maybe exist, but they are not in and of themselves mm -hmm. the most valuable businesses that we see today. And it feels like there's some similarities between today's world. There's a massive amount of interest in many of these layer one protocols, the assets that are connected to them, crypto assets, and then layer two as well, and the commercialization of crypto. How should people be thinking about this? Because yes, there was a gold rush in the 90s. Many things did not work, but also born out of that was the Amazons and Googles of the world. And then later than that, the Facebooks, Twitters of the world. How should people be thinking about this? Because on one hand, when people are searching for gold, some people get rich, but a lot of people yeah, don't. Yeah, uh, it's the same thing. It's going to be the exact same thing. It's why, look, it's informed. My investing is either in the picks and shovels, to use your gold rush metaphor. Quick Node is a perfect example of picks and shovels of this space where not really important who wins, just that everyone uses Quick Node to help them with their hosting and scaling of nodes and whatnot. But then there's also betting on platforms, betting on who's going to be Google or Amazon. And that's like Axie or SoRare. But the vast majority are going to go to zero. Same thing with NFT projects. I hold pretty interesting collection of what I consider to be sort of blue chip NFTs. And those are the ones I think that endure. But if you look at the total number, it's going to be like .com all over again. It'll be 99.9% .9 are going to go to zero in 10 years. How do you determine right now what you think are the blue chip NFT projects? Because now with something like Loop, there's also yeah. bottom up approaches, oh, yeah. which is community built asset that you give them the canvas or the bricks and then they are able to build an ecosystem or community around it versus top-down creator-led. Larva Labs just partnered with UTA, United Talent Agency. Yes, indeed. What an interesting coincidence. They just signed a venture capitalist a couple of months ago. <laughs> First, I want to go into what do you think makes a blue chip NFT project and where should people be looking for value? I know it's not investment advice, but People want to know. Yeah, definitely not giving advice here. I evaluate the top-down programs the similar to the way that I invest in artists or startup founders, which is looking at the team behind it, looking at their talent, their passion for it, their roadmap for what they're going to keep building, that sort of thing. And then the community that's formed around it and how much they engage with it. And then for the new stuff, the bottom-up stuff, that's where is all the energy. Where are developers building? Where are talented people? Look, I was lucky enough to be in the ETH presale simply because there was a community of people 
organizing around this idea of what if we could make programmable money on the internet and enough smart people thinking, Hey, this is cool. Hey, I want to be a part of this saying, yeah, sure. I'll throw in some money. I wish I I wish I threw in a lot more, but I think the thing that I slept on was just how I certainly am a true believer now, but I really thought, I don't know, in 2012, even with that Coinbase seed investment, I was like, well, the one thing that could wipe this all out is some government overreach, but it hasn't happened. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. And there's too much value that's been created now for too many people to go back. How do you think people find that heat map of here's where the developers are building? And especially if they're not necessarily in the venture ecosystem. And I say that because Mm -hmm. if you're following Mm -hmm. certain people on Twitter, if you're in the right ecosystems, if you're in the right Discord groups, you named it. Spending time there, you see it and understand it. But what about for everybody else? Because part of the promise of crypto is that that anybody can, in theory, with the exception Mm -hmm. of you know private token sales, anybody can access crypto assets and the potential wealth creation that those assets can provide maybe volatile, maybe in for a bumpy ride, but there's a potential for massive venture-like returns if you find the right assets. Anybody can do that, whether or not they are a credit investor, qualified purchaser, or a venture capitalist investor, or a barber. Yeah, those are the things. It's Twitter, it's Discord, and time. Because all the things you mentioned, all the same resources that I'm using that you just talked about are free. They literally cost nothing. You are the only thing, you and your time are the only thing stopping you from educating yourself more, from spending time in those places. And I think it's a little probably disarming at first because most of this stuff is created around an idea of you need to know someone, which is still very true. You need to have access to this club or that. That's literally what it is. That's the reason a barber is no longer going to have to work again. This is why I talk as much as I do about it on Twitter. This is why I am trying to create more on-ramps and invest in more on-ramps for it because that's a big deal. (laughs) There are folks who you could still tell this all to who are going to say, eh, no, whatever. I got Netflix to watch today. And that's fine. They're making that choice. This is shaping up to be the revolution of finance of modern finance that a lot of people have been working toward for almost a decade. Do you think that now is really that the time and that inflection point may be different than a few years ago too? Because it feels like there's so much energy around this transition from web two to web three. But if you think about it, the software is there. The people have actually spent three years chewing glass and staring in the oblivion of the winter. No one cared about Axie Infinity for years. They worked to build what they thought was a great product. They worked to build. And tons of nameless, faceless people have been building different platforms around this and infrastructure around this and improving and caring and all those things and investing. And they had to reach that sort of user experience tipping point where like it worked. So does that slope of change go faster because of how many people now have mobile phones? How many people are connected to the internet? How many people are digital natives? Social media media is the great accelerant. It costs nothing to promote this. (laughs) What I'm trying to go back to is as corollaries and maybe for people who lived through the prior dot-com boom and bust is, you know, things seemed 
too late if you missed that run up in the mid 90s and got in at the late 90s and then things crashed. But then Amazon and Google mm. came along and those have built enduring businesses. And Apple built this massive franchise and business around their, their hardware and then their software, the App Store. And then Facebook and Twitter came along. Thanks to Apple, Instacart is now a multi-billion dollar business that Webvan never could multi, be. It's 40, 40 plus yeah. billion. And, and it's Webvan, so, but with infrastructure provided by smartphones and grocery stores. So that's where it kind of gets to, if we believe now is the time. And because of the internet penetration of social, of mobile, and now what Web3 is providing, that slope of change is increasing massively, exponentially. So if people don't figure this out now, are they then too late? Or are they still very early? Because you could have said you were late in crypto two or three years ago, but there's still tons of opportunities in crypto now. People joining now are late, but they're still long-term early if that makes sense. If you consider the value of, okay, what's the current CryptoPunk floor? 500K? Lowest price. Yeah, $375,000. 97 ETH. There's only 10,000 CryptoPunks. And how many people know about them? I'm willing to venture probably, maybe due to social media and the hundreds of millions. I think there's 200 million crypto wallets in the world. Perfect. So let's say 200 million. Something around there. Now, there's almost 3 billion mobile wallets. And you think about people in Latin America, in Africa. That's why we invested in a company called Bitso in Latin, because it's an on-ramp to the crypto world for hundreds of millions of people in Latin America. Yeah. And same, you could, in Asia too, right? There's so many people with mobile wallets. Now, a small fraction of those people have crypto wallets. It's early days in that regard. I think in February of this year, seven months ago, 68 million blockchain wallet users. I think that's obviously increased with this crypto run-up, but think about that. What, there's seven plus billion people in the world? So we still have a small fraction of people in the world who A, have crypto wallets, and then B, actually probably even know about yeah, NFTs. early, early days in that regard. So there's a lot of hope here, <laughs> for sure, listening to this, because we've still only begun I'm excited to see where it goes, you know? It's going to be fun, man. <laughs> it's actually, it's working. It's actually working. So when you think about where this goes, I think the next natural evolution of all of this is the community-led nature of this. So we're seeing this now with NFTs. Like Loot Project is a perfect example of how this is a bottom-up community-led approach to building an asset mm. around a community, but it's the community that's actually building all the all, all the pieces and ingredients to create these assets. That's not too dissimilar from DAOs, in a sense, decentralized autonomous organizations where the community determines what ends up being invested into or what ends up being a project or where assets or resources are mm. allocated. Is that the next evolution in this space where it's actually more bottoms up approach to creating universes and building assets. And maybe this is more specific to the world of IP. Loot is giving the IP away and just seeing what happens. It turns out they have a really strong community. around. Yeah. So is that where this goes? Cause then it gets down to the root of this is ownership. So who owns what? Is it the creator who owns the IP or the, or the individual, the organization? And that's brought top down and for the benefit of all, maybe now people can own a piece of that IP. 
which they couldn't before. They were just consumers of it. But does this bottom-up community-led approach really change things? Yes, I think so. I think, well, okay, it, it is a complement to the top-down. And so I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I just think they are two parts of a healthy ecosystem. And long-term, if building Reddit has taught me anything, I am, in terms of scale, millions of people are going to outperform small rooms of elites every single time in the long run. Why is that the case? Uh, Because the creativity of N people is capped by hours in the day where N is like some centralized top-down organization. However, the creativity and ingenuity and work of infinity people is by definition uncapped. Every new human that is born (laughs) enters the latter bottoms up channel, whereas only a few make it to the top down. So I don't disagree with that. The other side of this though is having too many cooks in the kitchen. And for what? Having a DAO with too many people making decisions and voting on too many things may cause problems. So then how do you create DAO governance? That's just building better product. There was a good write-up a few years back of, I think it was the Pirate Party in Sweden built a platform to let people sort of like Reddit use software to delegate votes. So you can imagine a similar scenario where imagine a great user experience, which we definitely don't have yet, but a great user experience where a bunch of people can just, they just say, you know what? I trust Michael. I like the way Michael votes on stuff. Michael, you can have my vote. Great. God bless. And and again, software makes that trivial. What will my signal be? We've talked about the value of social proof, actually on one of the recent episodes with flex value, people having their board ape yacht club mm-hmm. avatar as their new Twitter profile pick, the PFP. Steph Curry just did it. Marlon Humphrey from the Baltimore Ravens near your hometown just did it. And there's not only flex value and clout, but actually trust that's associated with that because you're now part of a community and people see that you're part mm-hmm. of a community. So what are the things in the future verse? that will make people want to cede their vote to somebody who, to your point, they see as trustworthy or somebody who should be able to vote on their behalf because of what? And what is the kernel of that identity that's going to matter in the digital world? Is it what NFTs you have in your wallet and you're showcasing that like you'd showcase that on Instagram? Is it what you say on Twitter? Is it your background, like your LinkedIn profile? And it's this person worked at XYZ and did this. What are those things that are going to make people trust other people in a world where people are going to vote for other people in something like a DAO? It'll depend on the community. Some communities will care that you have an OG blit map. Other communities will care that you have an ape. Other communities will care that you have the most votes seated to you on a particular DAO, just like it does with offline communities, right? If you walk into a sports bar where you are known as the person who can chug the most beer and that is the most valued thing, you're going to get treated like the sports bar god that you are when you walk in that room. When you leave that community and you go to work the next day, people are going to treat you 
like the title of or the position you have in that office, regardless of what you get treated on Saturday at the sports bar, you'll be treated relative to how that community values you. And just imagine it digitally. So is that inherently a good thing or a bad thing? Because we've created constructs around all of this. Mm. And, and again, some of it's good, some of it's bad, obviously. But if we think about what crypto at its core is aiming to do, it's to decentralize and to some extent democratize access to things, who is powerful, who is not. Does this just recreate that same social construct? There's been a bunch of stuff on Twitter about people saying, look, like the promise of crypto is actually including many other people. But if you're just creating a group that benefits the few, we're crypto isn't really changing much. That's, dude, that's the thing we're trying to figure out. You're right about that. If I'm thinking about where a majority of my, when I have thinking time, a majority of my thinking time is spent on trying to anticipate or build or fund the things that are going to help rewrite that. Now, here's the one thing that's interesting. If you think on a global level, there are groups of people who have lots of numbers, but have not been able to be unified around a cause or around something of value that could with this. And I think there's interesting ways that this goes. And this just brings it all full circle. Like there are more soccer fans in the world than Facebook users. That community is very global and not many of them are in America. And this phenomenon right now in crypto is still very certainly Western, it's a very US-based, a little Europe. I think China is, is messed around more and more now with NFTs too. But like we consider the community of football as I'd argue one of the largest social, like human invented constructs of community. I think it's technically, would it be bigger than Christianity? I don't know. Uh, okay, 2.3 billion Christians. Yeah, how many soccer fans in the world? That's, yeah, there's... 3.5 billion soccer fans. So yeah, there are more soccer fans than Christians. Soccer is the most popular human construct in the world or pretty cl- I mean, if it's not Christian, if it's not a religion, I don't know what else. Yeah, so it's soccer. So like knowing that and knowing there's already a sense of identity and community around that and those communities are not the ones that are playing in the like NFT world at the moment, that's going to change. If we believe crypto is inevitable, then in 10 years, every one of those people is going to have access to it. And what does that do? It's going to change shit in a way that we can't really, I think, anticipate. It's not that crypto is a matter of life or death, although those in the Bitcoin religion may, may think so. But Bill Franklin's quote is, some people think football is a matter of life or death. I don't like that attitude. I can assure them that it's much more serious. <laughs> nice. What a good way to end. <laughs> Spoken like a true footballer. We talk about deep stuff on here. It's true. It's true. It's sense of belonging. To tie it full circle to Rebecca Cade's quote, Everything is about a sense of belonging. I love it. Much deeper than community times capital here. Yeah, man. We're not fucking around. 